Genesis, and we're in chapter 5 today. What I'd like to do is just read through the chapter, and uh, I'll just read the whole chapter. It's 32 verses, and then there'll be a quiz. All right, so pay attention. (laughs) All right, here we go. Genesis 5, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. And after he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. And after he begat Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot, I love this name, Mahalalel. Mahalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
Okay, so quiz. What phrase was repeated over and oh, nine times? He died. <laughs> Very well. Excellent. There was one man who didn't die. We're going to talk about that man today. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, a few thoughts, a few observations before we get talking about Enoch a little bit. Uh, keep in mind that the Garden of Eden is still off limits. It's guarded by a cherubim with a flaming sword, keeping man, keeping humans from going to the tree of life. So God is protecting man. He doesn't want men to live forever in their fallen state. Keep in mind, Satan is still a roaring lion, and he's seeking whom he may devour. Adam is alive when Lamech was 56. Noah's dad. Adam was alive, or he actually died when Lamech was 56 years old. Methuselah died the year of the flood. 1,656 years after year one. So it's an interesting thing to just process to go through. If you, we consider that Adam was created and God breathed into his lungs the breath of life, year one, and then you start adding up all the years, it was almost 1,700 years before the flood came. Okay, so God is filling the earth with mankind. It's really important, brothers and sisters, that we, it seems like a boring thing. It's just like, whatever is going on here, you know, sort of superfluous information, not at all. Because we have a parallel worlds. We closed out chapter four with the murderer Cain, who was shown grace by God, allowed to live, but he was expelled from God's presence. And Cain went out and built a city. Interestingly, he called the city after his firstborn named Enoch. And uh, we saw, or I mentioned last week in chapter four, basically, Cain represents what we might say is the type of the ungodly, the world, okay? And these are people who do not regard God, they're irreverent. Doesn't mean they don't worship. It just means they, they don't believe in the true God and they're not submitting to him. They are, their focus basically is very earthly. The focus of the unbelievers, which are prosperous, by the way, and they're very creative and inventive and scientific and progressive. We saw that they, they figured out how to extract ore and metals out of the earth and to smelt it and to form instruments of brass and, and tools for their agribusiness and for weapons. It's kind of the, the story of the fallen world. We're prosperous 
and we're violent. <laughs> and we kill each other. Which is exactly what Cain did and it's what his ancestors did. His seventh from Cain or seventh from Adam through Cain's line was Lamech. Interesting. So you have a guy named Enoch and a guy named Lamech in the ungodly line and in the godly line through Seth. Lamech killed a man, married two wives, polygamous, just a, an outright arrogant abuse of the design that God built into marriage between a man and a woman. The ungodly, the focus is earthly. It's what can I get out of this life here and now? And so we leave chapter 4, we come to chapter 5, and the way the Holy Spirit has authored this is he gives a really stark contrast. As you don't, I'm sure that Adam's son, Seth, and, and, and the line that comes through him were just as industrious and hardworking and inventive and creative and scientific and progressive, but the earth wasn't their focus. It was mostly about life. It's about propagation. And it's always looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise that God had given to Adam and Eve in front of them, actually speaking to the devil in Genesis 3.15, from your seed, woman, will come one who will bruise his head. You, Satan, will bruise his heel, right? We now know that that is a prophecy of Jesus Christ, of his incarnation, of his crucifixion, of his resurrection, and his second coming, when he finally puts down the devil finally eliminates him and his power on earth. Okay, so we have these parallel worlds running, and, it, and it's, it's sort of a vertical ancestry, if you will. It's, it's going from Adam, and it's going up to Noah is how I see it. And by the way, this same genealogy is in your New Testament, in Luke chapter 3, where we have the genealogy of Jesus Christ through Mary's line, but Luke takes the genealogy all the way back to Adam, who was the son of God, telling us, that, and of course that's Luke's thing, right? Mary was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That's how a, a virgin was pregnant. This is one of the miracles of Christianity. There was a pregnant virgin. Deal with it. <laughs> So there you have the same genealogy. He goes right through it all, working backwards, right? Noah, Lamech, Methuselah, and on and on and on. Mahalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
And she tells us, God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Gade killed. So Seth means appointed. Okay? Names have meanings. Isaac means laughter. Because when Sarah conceived beyond her time of conception, she had gone through menopause, and Abraham was 100 years old. So without any help from medication, they actually had sex again, and there was conception, and, and they just laughed. My goodness, we enjoyed intimacy, and now we have a child. Laughter, Isaac. Esau. When Esau, he was the oldest of the twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau came out, and he was a hairy little guy, and he was red-haired. That's pretty weird, to be honest with you. In a middle east sorry, John, your wife is red-haired. <laughs> John, please. <laughs> All right. But in the Middle Eastern culture, like, like, you've seen the pictures. Maybe you've been there. I've been there. It's like they call it the Black Sea. Everybody has black hair. And little Esau had red hair. Very interesting. Born there in a, in a Semitic culture. And so they called him Esau, which means red. His brother was a twin, and he came out second, but he was right on the heels of Esau, literally, as he reached out his hand, out of somehow a strange kind of birth, breach, I'm not sure, but he reached out his hand and he grabbed Esau's heel. And so they called him Jacob, which means heel catcher. Okay? Names have meaning. That's what the angel said to, to Matthew, or to uh, Jacob, Joseph, sorry. <laughs> Confused. Call his name Jesus, Savior. And it's a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14. A virgin will conceive, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Names have meaning. So I come back to using my concordance. And if you look at the names and the meaning of the names in this 10-person genealogy, it reads like this, starting with Adam, which means man. What's it oh, goes like this, man appointed, mortal, fixed. God be praised, mahalalel, God be praised. Descent, dedicated, man of the spear, pause, and I'm saying that because Lamech is actually, we don't know the meaning of his name. But then comes Noah, which means rest. So it's just a beautiful sort of picture. And I don't get off on this. Please don't get off on this stuff, okay? It's interesting to read, and I believe that God inspired it. But don't, in other words, make a practice of trying to find hidden messages in the scriptures. This is one of those cases where it's not so hidden, just a little bit of study reveals that God is kind of preaching the gospel through the names of these people. This is the godly seed. This is a godly seed. Okay? And remember, brothers and sisters, one thing I want us to always remember when we read chapter 5, it's really in the context of chapter 6. Because 
we don't, you know, chapter six, we don't just turn a page and, oh, and now we're in Noah's day. No, this, was, this has been brewing for a while. And so we have, there's, there is a godly seed, but we come to chapter six and it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. We'll talk about that next week. And it may not be what you think it is. But let me just say this, that Satan is trying to interrupt and infiltrate the seed of the woman that he knew was going to come through her, the Messiah. And so there was intense spiritual warfare. This is the environment that Seth and his followers lived in. And that's why it's just beautiful the way the Holy Spirit has authored the scriptures. It, you have Cain and his line, and they're all earthly-minded. This is as good as it gets. Your best life now. But with Seth and his family, no, no. We're looking, we're looking back at what God has promised in his word. And God can't lie. And so, Seth, maybe you'll be the one. Nope, okay, you die. It must have been a really... Sad day, don't you think? The day that Adam died. The very first created human being. In the day that Adam died. He first died spiritually when he rebelled. You will surely die. And of course he did. And it, it corrupted his whole understanding of who God is, of how good and gracious God is. And he became afraid of God. Sin deceives us. It lies to you and me. But then it also had a physical death. It must have been a very shocking, somber day, the day that Adam died. It's like, wow, the wages of sin. It really is death. For what? 900 and some odd years. He didn't die. But we've watched him age. We've watched him become more feeble. We've watched him tire. We've watched time take its toll on Adam. And sure enough, he died. It's powerful. Well, today, I want to center our attention on the second inductee into the Hall of Faith. <laughs> okay? Uh, wasn't that long ago, church, you've been with us. We completed our study through Hebrews. We got to Hebrews 11, famously known as the Hall of Faith. It's a living museum. I do remember that. That the author of Hebrews is sort of taking us on a, a guided tour. And as we enter into the Hall of Faith, we first see a portrait of Abel. And there's an explanation, a little backstory. And then we're like, God bless you, Abel. You're a righteous man. And then the next one we come to is Enoch. So Enoch's in your New Testament. By faith, Enoch lived. And he was translated, it says in Hebrews 11, verse 5. Translated. He was taken up into God's presence without dying. And do you see the beauty of it here in the context? He died. He died. He died. He died. He died. He died. He didn't die. God gives victory over death. And he pronounces it very boldly and clearly here in Enoch's life. 
There is, there is a life with God beyond the grave. Amen. <laughs> so I want to look at Enoch with you here just, just briefly. Verse 21 and 22, 3 and 4. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. All right, pop quiz. Who's the oldest man in the Bible? Methuselah. All right. Brandy, you know all the answers. Like, you must study or something. <laughs> 969 years, right? Uh, oh, and by the way, what's up with long life? That's weird. I mean, these guys live centuries. <laughs> um, uh, Brandy, what's the answer? No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, evidently, before the flood and the collapse of the atmospheric water and, the, and all that was going on, uh, you know, life was, they were able to sustain life much longer. And you'll see when we get on in our study after the flood that the lifespan of mankind shortened considerably. I think Abraham was 127 or something like that when he died. You know, 175. Uh, and then it gets, you know, then we come to, what is it, Psalm 90? Moses said, man, if you can get to 80, God bless you. You know, 70 years is kind of the, the number. God, I'm thankful I'm only 49, so <laughs> got a long way to go, baby. <laughs> so Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Verse 22 is very interesting. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So I don't know, it seems to me that there was a conversion of some kind, or at least he got serious about his faith after his child was born, his firstborn. Sometimes having kids sobers you up a bunch, <laughs> especially when they get older <laughs> and they know more than you, like by a lot, <laughs> and they're stronger than you and so on. But it seems to me, I mean, the word is after, it's in there, and I've checked translation, it's consistent. After he begot, it's almost, it's almost like, it seems to me, and I don't want to stress the point too much, but it seems like after, then he walked with God for 300 years and had sons and daughters. Now remember, and keep this in mind, because we're going to go to Jude here in a moment in our New Testament. This is written in the context of a culture that is degenerating among the godly. Among the godly. Let's be real. You're not born a Christian. Nobody is. You're born a sinner. Everybody is. All have sinned. There needs to be a conversion. There needs to be a change in who you're following, who you're walking with. And really, today's message, I just want to encourage you, we're walking with God. I want to encourage you to keep walking with God or to start walking with God. We'll talk about what that means, what that looks like, pinging off Enoch's life and just observing some of the things that we have knowledge of him. So Enoch, afterwards, he walked with God. So if I take it at just face value, that's what the scripture says so prior to that, I guess he wasn't walking with God, but he might have been going to church. 
Sort of like we learned last week, Cain and Abel both went and worshipped, but one guy was faking it. And when he got confronted by God, he's like, eh, I don't want to talk to you about this. And the Lord warned him. Sin is crouching at the door. It, it, wants, to, it wants to take over your life, Cain. And Cain wouldn't heed. And he continued in his unhealthy spiritual life and practices and habits. Thinking, I guess, proudly, arrogantly, that he could somehow beat the system in spite of what God has said. We reap what we sow, amen? We reap what you sow. So it seems to me that Enoch had some sort of a change. God made a strong impression on his life. Yeah, hallelujah. The glory of God just sort of stamped right on his life, on his heart, and it changed him. It changed the whole course of his life. I'm guessing that before Methuselah was born, he was essentially earthly-minded, carnally-minded. Let's, let's make money. Let's buy an electric car. <laughs> let's really do cool stuff. And then everything changed. And he became a prophet. Do you know that? Enoch was a prophet. And do you know that Enoch prophesied of the second coming of Jesus Christ? And you're going, come on. <laughs> this, is, this is prehistoric. This is beyond old. Yeah. Because he walked with God. And he knew the Lord. So go back to Jude, just before the book of Revelation, is this little letter, Jude. <clears throat> Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. How do you like that? <laughs> right? Mic drop. It was like Jesus slept on the upper bunk and Jude slept on, slept on the lower bunk. <laughs> right? He's like, hey, Jesus. <laughs> Half-brother of Jesus. He writes this letter. <clears throat> we talked about it briefly last week. Isn't that interesting? Here we are in a study in Genesis and we end up in Jude again for the second time in two weeks because Cain is mentioned in Jude. The way of Cain. We talked about it last week. Jude's concerned. The people that he's writing to, he's concerned because he's become aware that fake believers, people who profess Christianity, but they're not really born again, don't have the Spirit of God sealing their hearts and living within them. They're not walking with God, but they act like it. He's concerned because these people have entered into the church. He's aware of that. They all meet together and they have time together and are accepted and appreciated and loved. And he's like, warning, 
Where's your discernment, people? Where's the fruit in their life? Have you really listened to what they're saying and, 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 and the way that they're living? They're practicing sin and they're just proud and they, they hate authority. And they seem to find something wrong with everybody and everything except themselves. I know people like that. Had a conversation with somebody like that just this past week. And then I go back to my office and I'm studying and I'm like, oh my God, that perfectly describes my friend. Everybody's got something wrong with them. There's something wrong with the church. There's something wrong with government. There's everything wrong with society, but there's nothing wrong with me. It's their fault. And it's God's fault. Verse 12. These are blemishes in your love feasts, your potluck dinners. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. And then he goes off. He goes, they're like clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, no fruit in their life, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, here it is, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. That's my version, 10 Thousands, plural. Some say thousands of thousands. So I'm studying yesterday. I'm like, what's 10 times a thousand? Siri, what's 10 times a thousand? It's one with 30 zeros after it. If that's what it means. I don't know. It's a lot more than a trillion. A trillion has 14 zeros or 12. The Lord's coming with 10,000s of his holy ones. Now I know from my Bible that when Jesus comes again, he's coming with holy angels and holy people. Yes, sir. Amen. Come on. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so he just calls them holy ones. When the Lord, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. He's coming with his holy ones. Guess what? Enoch's going to come with him. The Lord took him right up. And what's he going to do when he comes? Verse 15, to execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly among them. Among them. Among them. Remember, Genesis 5 is in the context of Genesis 6. Enoch looked around in his church, in his neighborhood, in the world in which he lived. And you know what he realized? He goes, I'm ungodly. I just wonder, I just wonder that when, I mean, this man is prophesying and he's preaching about the glory of God and his right to judge sinful men. And I wonder if Enoch himself was impressed by that, if that's what brought him to conversion. We realize this, this life is meaningless and purpose. We're just going to die? That's it. Adam died. All my grandpas died. I'm going to die. That's it. 
I live, I walk through the fields, and then I die. Is that the point? I just wonder if it was that understanding that, oh my goodness, it's appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. I'm going to stand before God. I, Enoch, I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to say, now, <laughs> I know you had a conversation with your great-grandpa Adam. I know you did. I know you went and visited your, your namesake Enoch over in Cain's, your relative over there in the other part. And you had all this stuff going on. What about you? You see, <laughs> I'm wondering if after Methuselah, then he walked with God, somewhere in the point of all that, he realized, I'm in trouble. And unless God forgives me, I'm in trouble. And he fell down. Thank you, Eric, for reading Isaiah 6. You saved me a little time. I was actually going to read that this morning. <laughs> Do you realize, brothers and sisters, you look at it throughout the Scripture. Men, and I'll just use that word generically, who saw God fell down. Daniel fell down. Ezekiel fell down. John the Apostle fell down. Paul fell down. The Lord shined brighter than the noonday sun and Paul fell down. Peter, James, and John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and the Lord said, this is what's coming. This is what it's going to look like when I come again. The very thing that Enoch is prophesying about and they fell down. And I'm guessing Enoch fell down. He fell down begging for mercy, which of course he got because repentance pleases the Lord. When we just own it and we go, I am a bad man and I do a lot of bad things and I think a lot of bad thoughts and Lord, please have mercy and forgive me and the Lord forgives. So you see that beautiful thing of truth and love. We talked about it last time I was out at the renovation house. Truth and love. Of grace and perfection. Of glory and mercy. It made a strong impression on his, and it changed him. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, of his holy ones, to execute judgment on all to convict or convince all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, excuse me, which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. They're just, they're just brash and, and, and obstinate. It's like, it's like the great act of defiance. It's like shaking your fist. I'm going my way. What's he say? These are grumblers, verse 16. Complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. You can't trust them. Now, it says here in verse 14, Enoch prophesied about these men. 
Obviously, he's not prophesying about the men that Jude is specifically referring to. So therefore, I conclude that he must have been referring to prophesying to people who are living among him were very much like this. They were the ungodly that he was seeing, maybe in his local congregation. And so Enoch prophesied, and I think it brought conversion in his own life. It's my subjective thinking. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 while we're here in the New Testament. (laughs) And now we'll pick up a little speed and we'll close in on the end here. Hebrews 11, verse 5. Okay. Enoch prophesied. He also pleased God. What a great word. Here in Hebrews 11:5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's a fascinating words. Apparently, it sounds to me, the best I can understand is that it would seem like the general opinion of Enoch was that he was a man who pleased God because he walked with God, because he walked by faith. He had this, he was commended, I think most translations read. He was commended for his faith because he pleased God. So, What a beautiful thing. Enoch walked with God. It tells us twice that in Genesis. Right? He pleased God. He was a pleaser of God. Verse 6 is very powerful. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. My friends, Enoch is a great man. He went from, oh, what would he say? He went from just a lot of internal soul searching and angst and anxiety and, and, and wrestling over his own belief system. And is it really true? And if somehow, some point in time, he became a believer. God stamped it on his heart and mind permanently. The light never really left his eyes. And he saw a God who is just and who will bring his justice to bear. He will give what men deserve. And he saw a God who is gracious and forgiving and merciful. And if he's pleasing God... I know for a fact, and so do you, that God is pleasing him. (laughs) We sang it today. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That is God's joy and pleasure in his children. We experience that. I know I'm stepping out beyond what Scripture has revealed about Enoch, but he's a brother. He, he had an awareness of the coming of Christ from Genesis 3.15, orally transmitted down from Adam and so on, but he also prophesied of the second coming of Christ. He's a brother. And so walking with God, he was full of joy. He was full of peace. He was full. These are the powerful, intangible things that money can't buy. 
right? MasterCard got it right. There's a lot of things money can buy. <laughs> Remember those commercials? Loved them. The dad and his son. 25 bucks. Coke and hot dogs. Autographed baseball. Most precious thing? Conversation with my son. There's some things money can't buy. Walking with God is conversation with God. It's living, surrendered to His glory and experiencing His pleasure. He was full of joy. Didn't Jesus say that? My joy I give you. My peace I leave with you. My love I put in your life. Enoch pleased God. It also tells me back in Genesis that Enoch walked with God for 300 years. So, you know, I'm a preacher, right? You got to alliterate. So he prophesied, he pleased, and he persevered. For 300 years, he kept going. Long obedience in the same direction. Put his hand on the plow, and he never looked back. And he just kept going in a long, straight furrow. Did he stumble and fall and have questions and doubts and sin? Of course. But he walked with God because God was willing to walk with him, which is the most important thing of all. Here in Hebrews, it tells us that he was taken away so that he did not see death. In Genesis, it tells us that, he was, that God took him. And then it says, nobody could find him. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's fascinating to speculate. It's like, what was he doing? Was he, what was he doing? <laughs> Sleeping, eating, working, walking, hanging out with some friends, and then boom, he's gone. <laughs> and you know what? I don't think he knew it was coming. He had no idea. We have an idea that that very same thing is going to happen to the church. You all know that, right? So now we're talking about rapture, right? Turn to 1 Thessalonians, and we'll just touch on it here because the text brings it to mind. It's very, something very familiar to us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. It's just five verses of Scripture. But here is where Paul tells us about this idea of living human beings being translated or transferred is literally what it means. You're transferred. You take up a new residence. You, you leave earth and you go to heaven without dying. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus, Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him with him, those who have died in Jesus. What do you mean, Paul? Well, here's how it worked. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This was not just Paul's wishful thinking. He says, it's the word of the Lord. This is a mystery that's revealed. This is given to me by inspiration and revelation to illuminate our hearts and minds, to give us comfort and peace. This we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are dead. For the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ 
will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Rapture. Okay. So just a reminder that Enoch is sort of a type of the rapture of the church. And by the way, just not for nothing, but I find it interesting that he was raptured before judgment. Amen. <laughs> whatever your eschatology is, whatever your belief of the last days is, the fact of the matter is God's going to take us up. And some of us are going to go without dying. Paul gets into the details on that in Corinthians 15. And you can read that for yourselves. So just to close it up, Enoch walked with God. He prophesied, what else? Oh, he pleased God. What was the third thing? Persevered, thank you. <laughs> he proved. He proved that there's life beyond the grave. In the, and you read it, you all passed the exam, flying colors. What's the one phrase that was repeated multiple times? He died, he died, he died. He didn't die. God took him. Death doesn't have to win. It doesn't win. And so, he walked with God. What's it mean to walk with God? Amen. <laughs> What's Amos say? How can two walk together unless they are agreed? You willing to go with me? Yeah. All right, then get on board. But Paul say, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. The most amazing thing, brothers and sisters, to me in closing, the most amazing thing is that God walks with us. God has walked with us. That virgin gave birth. That little boy, first he crawled. <laughs> and then he grabbed a hold of a piece of furniture and he stood up and he got his balance. And then one day, with cell phone in hand, <laughs> Adam and Eve watched the Son of God take his first human step. He walked. I took a whole lot of liberty there. Some of you are like, what? I took a picture? <laughs> right? You know, I find it interesting. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet ever born of women. It says in John 1, it says he looked at Jesus as he walked by. And he said, behold, that's the Lamb of God. There was something about, I just find that interesting. It's like, God is walking. He's walking among us. And nobody feels threatened. Wait a minute, Enoch. Didn't you prophesy of, of judgment? And here's God. He's come. He's not judging. 
One day he walked by the Sea of Galilee. Mark 1 says, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Walk with me. That's discipleship. It's walking with the Lord. First, there's a conversion. We come to faith. We believe that he is God. And that he's holy and woe is me, as Eric read. But he forgives me. I want to be with you, Lord. And you guys know, I mean, as the Lord walked, he encountered a whole broad cross-section of humanity. I think one of the most significant events in the Lord's public ministry was that one day when he was in Peter's house and those four friends brought their man who couldn't walk and they lowered him through the roof and Jesus said, your sin is forgiven, now get up and walk. And there's the gospel. Unless you think, well, I'm not sure Jesus is God. The theologians in the room said, only God can forgive sin. <laughs> and Jesus is like, smiles. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> because look, anybody can say your sin's forgiven. But to publicly, in a crowded room, standing room only, say, get up and walk. Now, if I'm not God and that doesn't happen, then you got every reason to just leave the room, walk away, false prophet. But he got up. And then you connect the two together, and it's the whole gospel. Your sin is forgiven. Walk with God. You know, Jesus visited Jerusalem many times in his life. And every time he went, he would walk in. But there was one day he didn't walk. He got on a little donkey. And he rode in and he presented himself. Behold, your king comes to you. Humble riding on a foal of a donkey. He rode in knowing full well that he would not come out alive. Do you hear that, brothers and sisters? He rode in to Jerusalem knowing full well he's not coming out of there alive. Within less than seven days, he will be in a tomb. And what's most powerful to me when I consider the Lord walking, I think of John 18 when Judas and the soldiers came to arrest him. It says, Jesus walked to them. He went forward. Nobody takes my life from me. I give it, I lay it down. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He walked right up to his enemies, not to confront or to fight them, but to lay down his life. He walked to Calvary, carrying the cross. Interesting, huh? He stumbled. The ark of God almost fell. 
And they reached out to this guy, Rufus, and said, you better help him carry the cross. That was the last time he walked. And then he stood there, and they nailed him to the cross, or they laid him on a cross and then stood it up. He gave up the spirit, and they carried his body and put it in a tomb. And then he rose again. And he came alongside a couple of guys walking to Emmaus. He says, do you mind if I walk with you? <laughs> He's resurrected. This is the resurrected Jesus three days later. And they're just chattering. Oh, my goodness, all this stuff. Injustice. Evil people. They're like, what's going on? Where have you been? You living under a rock? I am the rock. <laughs> it says in Luke 24, Jesus walked along with them. And he opened up the scriptures to them. And he says, it's all written of me. And their conclusion did not as he opened up the scriptures, as he revealed the Messiah. And then finally, friends, the Lord ascended. And it's interesting because Zechariah tells us in 14 that the day of the Lord comes and the Lord will go forth and on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. In the meantime, he's calling. He's here by his grace, by his love and his spirit, and he's walking among his church. That's what he does. John saw that in Revelation. There's all these lampstands. They all represent the church, and there's the Lord right in the middle of them. He's here now, and he's calling us, walk with me. Your sins are forgiven. Yes, judgment has come. I accepted it. Full penalty for everything we've done. Now walk with me. Jesus said in John 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John also said, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're liars and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one in another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen? Walk with the Lord. Persevere, brothers and sisters. You know, if you're still in your New Testament, let's just go back to Jude and his closing exhortation to the people that he's written to. It's just absolutely beautiful. Verse 20, Jude 20, you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. That means just keep walking because he keeps loving and forgiving and disciplining and putting us through trials to strengthen our faith. And he gives us the beauty of the body of Christ to share our trials with and to encourage one another. Keep going, man. <laughs> Been there, done that. The Lord will see you through. Hold on to the promises looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Jude 24 and 25. Let's stand, please. We'll just close with this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's one of the greatest statements. I'm going to stand there. I look in the mirror just like you guys. I'm like, I'm a bad man. 
As I'm brushing my teeth, it's like I got terrible things going on in my life right now. Thoughts, sin I'm talking about. And yet the Lord said, I'm going to present you before me faultless. No spot or blemish. This is my bride, the church, with joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Lord, thank you for allowing us to just take some precious words of yours from the word to consume it, Lord. Great are you, Lord. <laughs> Great is the Lord. Great in power. Great in truth. Holy Spirit, just do a work among the people today. You're doing a work right now. Impress upon the hearts, Lord, a need for you. Press that upon us, Lord. Great are you, Lord. It's good to be still before you and know that you are God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pray, brothers and sisters, pray. Pray to the Lord. Right now, pray. Declare your love for Him. Be thankful. Declare your thankfulness for saving you. Say it, Lord. Say it to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. You've been merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you, Lord. You've given me your spirit. You've breathed into us your life less I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Lord, we yield. We yield our lives to you. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, we yield. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. 
you're going to present us faultless. The righteousness of God is ours. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray for our kids. Pray for the young ones that they will know you. I thank you for the work that you've done in their lives today in the Sunday school room through your servants. We pray that the truth that they've heard of Gideon, Lord, you'd make that stamp in their life early today. You convince them and persuade them of who you are, Jesus. They'll walk with you all the days of their life and know your joy. Bless them, Father. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest spring, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Let's do it again. Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. 